Good morning. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock wins a close runoff election, but was the vote marred by GOP voter suppression, Trump in the Constitution, and harm reduction in a city park. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the news for Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. Senator Raphael Warnock won his runoff battle against challenger Herschel Walker in Georgia, ensuring Democrats will have a solid majority in the Senate next year. The Associated Press called the election with nearly all votes counted. Warnock had 51.3% and football legend Herschel Walker got 48.7%. About 90,000 votes separate the two candidates. Warnock greeted his supporters on Wednesday night. And after a hard-fought campaign... or should I say campaigns? (laughs) It it is my honor to utter the four most powerful words ever spoken in a democracy. The people have spoken. Herschel Walker appeared on stage with his wife, Julie. Looking tired, he said, we've had a tough journey, have we not? Adding, God is good, and I'm not going to stop fighting for Georgia. But voting rights activists say the Georgia runoff slipped into the Democratic column mostly because Walker was a poor candidate who committed one embarrassing flub after another. In fact, Governor Brian Kemp and Georgia Republicans were successful in changing voting laws. If Walker had been a stronger candidate, he might have easily won. A documentary filmmaker, Zach Roberts, has been traveling the state interviewing voters. His latest film, made with investigative journalist Greg Palace, is Vigilante, Georgia's vote suppression hitman. Roberts says the feel of this election was reminiscent of Jim Crow. Today has been uh, relatively quiet. I mean, we saw on the last day of early voting on Friday, we saw every single polling location in all of Fulton County had at least 60-minute lines, all the way up to 140-minute lines, people just waiting out to vote. Thank goodness it was a gorgeous day on Friday. Today, we've seen basically brisk voting, as they, as they say. People, like, showing up voting in turn like, small numbers, but like, consistent numbers. We stopped at one polling location in kind of a nicer area of, uh, and basically they said it was the higher numbers than they, they saw in the general election. The difference is, is that during the uh, full Tuesday election voting day here in Georgia, you have basically all of the polling locations that you would have open on a general, uh, you did in the general election. But on early voting, they cut it down massively, almost to the point of maybe purposely making it a little bit inconvenient to vote for some people who don't have cars and can't get 20 minutes down the road to, to the next place because we can't have public transportation in this country. Their greatest fear might be, and we're talking about the the Walker people, the Trump people, and what have you, is that even when they do all these voter, everything that they do to try and reduce voting, especially from black and Latino areas and liberal white areas, if it fails and they still are losing, it doesn't matter if they do all these things. What do you think the next step is going to be? They have done everything they possibly can to stop people from voting other than bringing out the dogs and bringing out the fire hoses or whatever. This is the most subtle racial attack that we've seen. And since Jim Crow was Jim Crow, not the new forms of Jim Crow we have, 
the massive attack on early voting, the massive attack on absentee ballots. We went from, because of SB 202, the voter suppression law that was passed last year after uh, a black man won the United States Senate seat and also Biden won, of course they have to figure out a way. Of course, there was some reason they have to start fixing the way we vote because it didn't work out the way they wanted. And when I say they, I mean Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger and the uh, Republican legislature. One of the biggest effects that I've seen is the massive cutdown of during the runoff. We went from 60 days where people could could register to vote. If you were 17 years old, three days before the election, before the general election, and then you turned 18 during the runoff back in 2021, you could register to vote and vote because it is your right to vote if you are 18 and losing. But thanks to the 30 day, you can't register to vote before 30 days before an election. And the fact that, wow, convenient that they made the runoff 28 days after the general election. So now, basically, only if you voted in the general election, basically, can you vote in the next one. If you were able to vote in the general election, you can vote in the runoff. And the returns that are coming in look like Walker's going to lose. I'm not a Democrat or Republican, but for the sake of America and the fact that we don't have somebody who really isn't up to the job when it comes to speaking, when it comes to when it comes to processing information, I think that that's probably a good thing. We talked to a bunch of people waiting in line in a polling location where they were waiting for over an hour and a half to vote. And every single person just said, this is voting in Georgia. They just conceded to the fact that this is what the white power structure in Georgia does to them. I talked to a Brian Kemp voter with a Donald Trump hat on uh, right before the uh, general election. And what he said is that we need Brian Kemp because we are worried about the spread of Atlanta into the outer counties. And one of the big things he said, he's like, we got to make sure that we don't have the MARTA, which is Atlanta's public transportation system. We don't have MARTA bringing that type of people out. This is what a lot of Georgia is worried about is Georgia is turning black. Georgia is turning brown. Many more Asian immigrants and people are coming in. But also the younger crowd is coming in. The uh, LGBTQ crowd is coming in. That is the Georgia that they don't want. That is the Georgia that Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger don't want. Filmmaker Zach Roberts, his latest film made with Greg Palace's Vigilante, Georgia's vote suppression hitman. The election nearly closes out the 2022 midterms. A congressional race in Colorado is still undecided. It was a disappointment for former President Donald Trump, who saw many candidates he endorsed going down to defeat. And in more news of the former president, an announced candidate for re-election in 2024. The Trump Organization, the family real estate business that made Donald J. Trump a billionaire, propelled him to the White House, was convicted of tax fraud and other crimes on Wednesday. The conviction on all 17 counts in state court in Manhattan came after a day of deliberations by the jury. The charges came from the company's pension for off-the-books perks for executives, including luxury apartments, luxury cars, cash bonuses, and free cable TV. No taxes were paid on any of it. Prosecutors didn't charge Trump, but his name was invoked throughout the month-long trial, telling jurors he'd personally paid for some of the perks and approved aspects of the scheme. The prosecution sounded a drumbeat of damning evidence about a freewheeling culture of this company, revealing that pervasive illegality flourished there for years. Although the conviction will not seriously impact the company, it lays the groundwork for further prosecutions that could include Trump himself. In more political news... 
Earlier this week, former President Trump called for the termination of the Constitution to overturn the 2020 election and reinstate him to power. Trump wrote in a post on the social network Truth Social, Do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out? Without in capital letters O-U-T, and declare the rightful winner, rightful winner in caps, or do you have a new election with new election in caps? He says, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Trump has announced he's running again for the presidency in 2024. Democrats say his statement is another disqualification for the scandal-tainted former president. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, a Republican, criticized Trump's statement, agreeing with Democrats. Anyone seeking the presidency who thinks that the Constitution (coughs) could somehow be suspended or not followed, it seems to me, would have a very hard time being sworn in uh, as President of the United States. Earlier, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer asked where Republicans were hiding after a week of faux pas by Trump, including dinner with anti-Semites and the row over the Constitution. Donald Trump cannot seem to go a week without doing or saying something disgusting, dishonorable, and frankly, disqualifying for high office. On Friday, he took his vile rhetoric to a new and horrible nader when he called for the, quote, termination of the Constitution of the United States because he lost the 2020 election. Aside from the pettiness and the ego of that, it's as if Donald Trump is on a mission to find new ways to sink lower and lower to the detriment of America. How can anyone hope to take the presidential office, oath of office, to preserve and protect the Constitution while simultaneously calling for the Constitution's termination? It's wholly disqualifying on its face. I'm glad some Republicans seem increasingly willing to condemn Trump's lunacy but we need more voices filling the silence. We need nothing less than an avalanche of condemnation from Republicans. But sadly, all we've gotten so far are just a few flurries here and there. Trump has denied he knew influencer Nick Fuentes was a notorious fascist, although Fuentes attended a dinner in Mar-a-Lago with Kanye West, known as Ye, who himself claimed he admired Nazi leader Adolf Hitler. And in local news, yesterday, Mayor Eric Adams announced two women would be taking up senior positions at City Hall come January. Adams named Sheena Wright, one of the handful of current deputy mayors, as his new first deputy mayor to replace Lorraine Grillo, and he tapped Camille Joseph Varlak as his new chief of staff to replace Frank Caron. The mayor said both women bring creativity, passion, and experience to City Hall, and he said he had made it a point to have women, and especially women of color, in senior roles in his administration. Before going into government, Wright was the president and CEO of United Way of New York, a nonprofit organization that helps low-income New Yorkers. And on Sunday, the New York Times ran an editorial supporting establishing more safe injection sites, part of a policy known as harm reduction that intends to make injecting opiates and other drugs safer for drug users. New York City has two supervised injection sites that opened last year, one in East Harlem, another in Washington Heights. They provide clean needles, have naloxone on hand to reverse overdoses, and provide treatment and counseling for those who want it. Activists who support the site say as many as 600 lives have been saved already because of the facilities. New York City is the first U.S. city to open an officially authorized injection site. Others are watching and may follow suit. The Times editorial comes as some neighborhoods, though, have been awash 
and used needles in fear of a drug user takeover of their parks. Last month, members of a community group on the Lower East Side met with police demanding the closure of Tompkins Square Park and to ask for cops to sweep out unhoused addicts who hang out there. Tompkins Square Park has been in the forefront of harm reduction with two boxes set up in the park, especially for disposing of used needles. Harm reduction activist and local resident Van Asher says the local community board has been supportive of the harm reduction approach. The community board supports the efforts of putting kiosks in. Um, I've done, I've worked with the parks department closely with Mark Baccaro, who's the regional director, who is very supportive of the kiosk program. And actually, I'm doing a report right now for, for the city saying, like, over the last quarter, they had requested three more kiosks for another park because of the success of the program and how parks workers are reporting that they're finding less syringes. I've gone out with a group recently to do a syringe training, and I was going to bring some syringes to put on the floor to pick them up to show how to properly discard of syringes. And I said, oh, I'll find some on the ground. And I had to walk around for quite some time before I found two discarded syringes in the same location that I could go, oh, okay, here we go. I almost didn't find any. And they're talking about this huge problem. Oftentimes I'll get phone calls, say there are syringes everywhere. And I'd go, oh, great. Let me know where. We'll send people to come pick them up. And then you'd hear almost someone go, hey, hey, where was that needle? It's all tied in with the stigma and disdain that we have towards people who use drugs. We need to demonize them so we feel better. What we do is let people know, like, the syringe itself is relatively harmless. Like, you can pick it up away from the point and discard it. There's all these safer places to discard them now. And or you could put it like in a soda bottle, put the cap on and toss it in the trash or bring it to any health clinic, any health clinic or hospital. Carlina Rivera, the city council person, was saying that the city council is passing a bill that would allow a sort of return deposit on syringes. Uh, People just get really high and leave it where they are and wander off. And some people do. I mean, the amount of litter that we see, like, I guess people forget that we have trash receptacles on corners or some people just don't care, I'm sure. I don't love her idea because I think it's going to be like how we see people collecting cans that are just poor. We're going to have people looking for syringes that aren't necessarily drug users. It's a flawed plan. Why, you think that drug users should get in on this and do it themselves? I don't think it would be bad, but I don't necessarily think they're going about it in a great way. It's not engaging the user in order to find a way out of whatever problems exist in the streets with heroin, but instead just trying to another strategy to sweep it under the rugs, have some little old ladies go around picking up syringes for the money. And- some of that may happen. I could be wrong. I've been wrong about plenty of things. More kiosks, more access to syringes, like smaller syringe service programs, strategically located in areas where people are using will create more disposal access, we'll see less syringe litter. Isn't that the NIMBY? What's going on really is that they want to avoid exactly what you're saying should be done. The right thing, the way to do it is what you're saying, but the getting, paying people a buck for a syringe is a cheap way to get rid of it without having to go up against the NIMBY attitude against any sort of... Exactly, and it'll probably be closer to a nickel than a dollar. I'm not sure if they said a dollar, but that would be, I'll I'll start collecting them. (laughs) 
Asher says he has some doubts, though, of a plan passed by the city council and touted by Lower East Side Council member Carlina Rivera to offer deposits to entice Neil return. Asher says it's just more poverty shaming. The Lower East Side is we have a port. We have all these highways and tunnels that meet from other states. We're a great access point. The Bronx really has more access to different locations. You can go to Connecticut. You can go to Pennsylvania. You can go to New Jersey. You can go all over and it trickles down trickles downtown but there's a lot more wealth in the lower east side so that's why we talk about the lower east side as opposed to talking about the bronx to me heroin is something that is like an expensive a luxury item am i right in saying that i mean wh- how is it that poor people can afford heroin at all the heroin used to be two dollars a bag and that was something that would get three people obliterated and prices have gone up the same thing we've raised prices on cigarettes in New York to $14, $15 a pack and tax them in the hopes that it would get poor people to stop smoking. And instead, poor people deny themselves other things to afford cigarettes. And then there are places and people that will sell loose cigarettes. We saw what happened with police murdering someone selling a Lucy because that's what we do, because people want to do things that make them feel better. And smoking a cigarette and doing opiates or doing cocaine or drinking coffee or having sex or shopping all light up the same synapses in our brain that take us away from how we feel. The the weight of the world is heavy on our shoulders, especially if we're poor or if the system is designed to keep us that way. Like the work-to-welfare programs aren't help people get out of poverty. They're meant to keep people poor, where we're talking about the parks and syringes in the parks there are programs where people will have to work in the park for their welfare check and they're being supervised by someone that's making a decent income but jobs aren't necessarily available and they're working for what turns out to be below minimum wage people always say the system's broken and i say it's not it works perfectly well and it's designed to keep people and people who use drugs and people of color of certain incomes in those brackets, and it's built for recidivism. It works all too well, unfortunately, for individuals who have the system stacked against them initially. And Asher reminisced of the time in 1988 when less progressive voices dominated the conversation. He said it led to a bloody riot in Tompkins Square Park meant to criminalize the unhoused. It's funny when they say they enforced it 30 years ago, what they're forgetting, and they're probably people who weren't here 30 years ago, I was, they didn't enforce it. Police went in with riot gear and beat and arrested homeless people. There were encampments there. It was a riot. It wasn't an enforcement. Police went in in full riot gear and assaulted and attacked the homeless people. They made it illegal to be homeless. And people were beaten. And I lived on St. Mark's Place at the time. We were actually videoing from our roof. There was a shop called Alternative Transportation. I think it was 94 St. Mark's. We put a spotlight on some police that started beating someone and threw them down the stairs. And then all the buzzers in our building started ringing. And we were like a collective. We weren't letting them in. And they came up through the building next door and tried to gain access through our roof, which we barricaded access to. Could that happen now? Of course it could happen now. What happens now is how things have changed is a few years ago when sanitation given an order to sweep the encampments, be it in the parks or or elsewhere, they'd give seven days notice. 
Now it's supposed to be 24, but it's not really 24. If I'm street homeless and I have all of my belongings next to temporary shelter that I've put up that is my home, and I'm not there, let's say I go to the soup kitchen or I'm standing on a line because the poor are made to go to all these appointments and stand online all day and then go somewhere else and stand online. People get all of their life belongings thrown out, where if it's supposed to be to get rid of the shelter, leave the suitcase, leave the belongings. We have declared war on the poor. That meeting in Tompkins Square, I believe it was Garrett, who's part of the dog run, was saying, like, we don't want to see them. And it's like, well, these are your community members. We judge a community by how we treat the person that needs the most help. And if you're saying, get them out, I don't want to see them, then you have a moral failing as a human. Harm reduction activist, Van Asher. And that's the news for Wednesday morning, December 7th, 2022. The news is produced by this reporter. You can hear the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>